Well, good evening, and uh, it's good to be back with you. And this our Bible study, as you know, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, and we're now up to chapter 12. So we're just going to read together the first few verses of chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, um, please open them at Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you again for the opportunity we have to gather around these verses this evening. It might be that we feel familiar with them, that's good. But our Father, we know that as we look at them again together, that you can always open up new things to us as you encourage us as we go forward in the race that you have laid out before us. So, our Father, we bring these things before you and we bring them with the request that you will open our hearts and our minds and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right, so uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Now, after telling us about the great heroes of faith, the writer tells us how we should respond. So, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we have that word, therefore. Now, that word, therefore, always means what we're going to say now is connected to and relates to what we've already heard. So, since therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So we are being asked to do something, to do something in the light of what we know. And what we know is what these great heroes of faith have done. And we are being encouraged to do this so that we can be like them. You see, they had discarded what they, the things that would hold them back and they'd put on the things that they needed in order to go forward. Now, the picture here is an athletic track. The readers of the letter are those on the track the witnesses are those who have already run the race and are now, as it were, standing around the track and they're there to be an inspiration to those who are running. And the runners, they're the ones on their journey towards the city whose architect and builder is God. Now the first lesson here is the preparation for the journey. Let us throw off everything that hinders you know, we're all familiar with this when we, we go on holiday and you know, we have to pack the suitcase. And what we have to do, we have to make decisions. We can't take everything. We can't take all that we want to take. Some of the things we probably won't need, but we still want to take them with us. But what we have to do is eliminate all those things and just put in the things that we know that we will need. And in this passage, the words throw off. Well, those words speak of the energy that's required to do this. It is to be done with a purpose. Now, if I have to sort 
out of the home, any of the rooms or the garage or anything like that. The purpose is to make better use of our living space. That's the purpose. But it doesn't take long for that purpose to change. It changes from what can I cast out to what can I keep. And I end up keeping just a load of junk. And that takes up valuable living space. Now, in the spiritual sense, even as Christians, we can be tempted to hold on to things that will hinder our walk of faith. That's what this is all about. So let's go on in that verse. And the sin that so easily entangles. What does that mean? Well, remember that the writer is speaking to Christian believers. The reference to the sin that so easily entangles refers back to the attitude of the nation who in the past let unbelief hinder their walk with God. You see, these people have already had their sins forgiven, but we still live in a sin-cursed world. And sometimes we hang on to things that don't really help us in our walk. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. This is going back a bit. Looking at things we've already seen. And in that little verse, this is what the writer told us. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. You see, this letter is all related, and we need to go back and look at what's already been said, and then apply that as we go along. We've got another reference here in chapter 3, verse 12 to 15. More advice. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Notice this is to brothers and sisters, those in Christ. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original convictions firmly to the very end, as has been said today, if you hear this, his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. You see, the readers of this letter are being tempted to turn back to their old ways of Judaism, the temple worship and the sacrifices. And they're being told here to be careful not to do that. And in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7, we read, Or if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. So this is what the writer has been teaching. The old covenants, the fault was not with God. The fault was with the people. The people's sin. And what the writer is saying, don't be like your ancestors, but learn from them. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 uh, to 25. Now, you can read that passage, but just one or two things that are pointed out in those few verses. It's an encouragement in how to keep the faith. You will hear the phrase, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. You will hear the phrase, cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And the phrase, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. So right the way through this letter to the Hebrews, these are things that the people are being encouraged to do, to hold on unswervingly to the hope that we possess. That's the hope we have in Christ, in his death and in his resurrection, and not in the temple worship 
all the sacrifices that they previously had to do as a nation. So, as the rulers are encouraged to look at the lives of those who have gone before them, they are to see that it wasn't their good deeds that saved them. Their good deeds are there. But that's not what saved them. It was their faith that saved them. And that's what the writer is continuing to say in these verses. The next subject in chapter 12 has already been referred to. Uh, You might recall it. It was way back in Hebrews chapter 3 and it was verse 1. And the writer said, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Remember that, our apostle and high priest. Very relevant words. There it is. To fix our thoughts. But here it is also to fix our eyes on Jesus. Both fixing our thoughts and our eyes. Both are equally necessary. So let's go to verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he encountered the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's an awful lot in that verse. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus, who he is, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Why? For the joy. What joy? The joy that was set before him after he endured the cross and scorned the shame. And the joy would be when he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That word, pioneer of our faith. You know, in his humanity, Jesus lived by faith. How do we know that? We see it. He prayed. He prayed to the Father. He trusted in the Father. He obeyed the will of God. Now, We don't fully understand this, but during that time of his humanity, he was no less God. But he didn't call on his divinity for his own personal needs. Consider just for a moment the the time that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. He couldn't be tempted to sin because he had nothing in him that responded to sin. But he had the power to use his divinity for his own personal needs. But he didn't. And in his state, in his humanity, he defended himself with the very weapons that we have to defend ourselves against Satan. That is, the word of God. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12. We're going back a little bit here. Hear this. Now this is Jesus. He, this is Jesus, says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. See? Jesus lived by faith when he walked this earth. What about the perfecter of faith. We've looked at the pioneer of faith. That's who he is. He knows how to walk by faith. He did it. He pioneered it. 
but he's also the perfecter of faith. The word perfecter, I've mentioned this before, as a printer, um, a perfecting machine is a machine that prints both sides of the paper at the same time, so it's all done in one hit. Very often, uh, printing both sides of paper will have to be done in two passes. It'll pass once and be printed on one side, and then have to pass again, but a perfecter does it in, the, does it in one operation. It perfected means to make complete. The perfecter of faith, the one who made our faith complete, he did that on the cross. And we are to look to Jesus. Now that means not just to look to him, it's to look to him for something, that is to trust in him. You know, <clears throat> This passage here is really a reference to Numbers chapter 21, verse 4 through to 9. And this would have been familiar and would have been in the minds of the first readers because they would have known the scriptures. Now, this is what we read in Numbers 21. And this is the, the, the children of Israel in, in, in the wilderness. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route of the Red Sea to go round Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses, and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. When the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, they bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on the pole. Then, when anyone was bitten by the snake, he looked at the bronze snake and they lived. Now, this is an example of the people, the people of God, God's people, sinning. They turned away from God. They turned away from Moses. Not only that, they turned against God. They turned against Moses. And eventually, when God chastised them, they came to their senses and realized what they'd done and had to admit before him, we've sinned, we've spoken against the Lord. This is what John said. When he had this passage in mind, this is John chapter three, fourteen to 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. You know, the readers of this letter, as I said, would have been familiar with that incident in the wilderness as recorded in Deuteronomy. They would have been taught it in school, and maybe they knew part of it off by heart. And it's quite likely that they knew the quote from John. So let's go on to Hebrews chapter 3 as we consider him, that is Jesus. Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why consider Jesus? We just considered all these people of faith. Why do we need one more? Well, because of what we just read. Because he is the one who is the perfecter of our faith. He suffered more than any of those heroes of faith that we read about in chapter 11. He endured the cross. 
He bore the sins of the world as his father turned his face from him. He entered into death. Scorning its shame, the creator of the world was treated like a criminal, beaten, falsely accused, mocked and rejected. Rejected by those he came to save. As we draw to a close, I want to consider Isaiah 53, and it's a good passage to come to. We come to it so many times, but it has so much to say to us. Just listen to verse 7 through to 9 of chapter 53. As we consider Jesus, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So, consider who Jesus is. Consider his suffering. Let's ask the question again. Why consider Jesus? Well, the text tells us. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's our greatest example. And Isaiah goes on. Chapter 53, verse 10 and 12. Yet, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin... He will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because... He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I said it before, these readers would be familiar with those words. And I think they would have been brought to mind by what we have just read in those few verses of chapter 12. The first readers would have been familiar with these passages and that line from Isaiah would shine a great light onto what they have been learning about Jesus in this letter. Learning about the one who is their great high priest and our great high priest under the new covenant. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors, the sacrifice, and the one who intercedes between us and God. Now let's finish with what we're being told to do in this short passage. So let us, like them, run with perseverance the race marked out for us, even through these difficult times. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. As we said at the 
beginning we probably uh, felt familiar with them. But there's so much here for us to learn, to learn about you. And encourage us to fix our thoughts and our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We ask these things in his precious name. Amen.